Wednesday night. Last week we talked a little bit about how do you get to a miracle from your problem to the promise to the person, the relationship to presence. And then finally, what do you do? How, do you, how are you led into whatever it is that the Lord leads you to do? That's what we talked about last week. Now your homework from last week was, do you know how much God loves you? Anybody think about that this week? Nobody thought about it. Come on, somebody thought about it. I know Pete's thought about it because she talked to me about it. So um, just meditating on how much God loves us is a place to start where we can, when we start meditating on how much God loves us, what happens is that we start realizing that, wow, the creator of the universe loves and cares for me. It's not just that God so loved the world, it's that God so loves you. And you look in the mirror and you say, God so loves me, that God loves me. God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son, that, who, that because I believe on him, I have eternal life. And you, when you personalize it like that, when you really think about the fact that God loves us, then when you go to his promises and when you go to whatever it is that you're, you're reading in his word, and you can start with the, with the premise that says, God loves me, God has a plan for me that is good, and he has good thoughts towards me, then when you read those promises, you can say, wow, okay, not only is this promise good, but the person behind the promise is also good. We talked a little bit about, do you, you know, the, the promise is only as good as the person making it, right? We all know that. So the, the, anybody can make a promise. Words are, words are cheap, right? Anybody can make a promise, but who is behind that promise? What is the person that's behind that promise? Do you trust them? Do they have character? Do you believe that the person has your best interest in mind? That was, that was the premise that we were going to. So now we talked about, do you know how much God loves you? Here's what I would like to get you to start thinking about today. What does God think about you? What does God think about you? Is he frustrated with me? Is he angry with me? Is he kind? Or does he have good thoughts toward me? And a lot of, the, a lot of what we think about what God thinks about us is what we had our parents and other significant adults in our lives saying to us when we were kids. You know, if, if you got, um, if every time you asked your mom or your dad a question, they acted frustrated and told you to go away, then you're, you're gonna, a lot of times you carry that over into your relationship with God. And, and if you had a very kind, benevolent, very open um, relationship with those that were in authority over, over you and they, they were always open to you, then you're gonna have a, a tendency toward being more open. So, you know, like for, for, for me, you know, I, I hate to say it, but my mom kind of was frustrated. I was child number nine, way over here, see that? I was child number nine, my mom was tired, okay? Uh, and she was 40 when I was born and uh, time I came around, she's like, just leave me alone. You know, just go over there and play. You know, that was always the thing, you know, just go away. 
And that was the, that was the thing. So with the thing I had to really deal with growing, and as I got saved and started talking to God and really relating to God as my father, and I had to deal with, I don't want to bother you, God, but this is what I'm thinking. Because I was always a bother as a kid, right? And that's just the way it was. I'm, I don't want your sympathy. It's just the way it was, okay? So the, my point is, if that's you, you have to be aware of those things and deal with those things so they don't poison the well of your relationship with God the Father. You get what I'm saying? You, you're, just wave at me if you're at all hearing what I'm saying. If you're not careful, your personal experience with flawed people carries over into your relationship with a flawless God. And you assign, and we have a tendency as people to assign those things to God and, and that's gonna hinder your relationship with God. So I would say this, the first thing we've gotta do is kinda wipe the slate clean from our, our past and say, what does God really think about me? And the only place you can really get information about what God thinks about you is from the Bible, because that's his word. So we're gonna go there, okay? Psalm 40, Psalm 40 says, many, O Lord, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts toward us. Your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. The number of thoughts that God thinks toward you, it says, are more than can be numbered. Then Jeremiah 29, 11 says, the thoughts that he thinks toward you are good and for your good and not for your harm. So God is thinking thoughts about you today, right now, on a Wednesday night, God's thinking about you. And what God's thinking about you, he's thinking good thoughts. He's thinking, oh, I hope they make right choices. Oh, I hope they follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I hope they're gonna do this because if they do, ooh, do I have good things in store for them. That's what God is thinking about you right now. He's just going, oh, Angels, go bring them some stuff. Angels, go protect them over there. And that's all God's thoughts toward you and their thoughts good and not harm. Their thoughts, here's what I, this is my translation. This is not directly from the Bible. This is me, okay? So God thinks you are wonderful. He thinks you're wonderful. God thinks you're incredible. He thinks you're awesome. He thinks you're talented, beautiful, handsome, smart, faithful, funny, he even thinks your jokes are funny. And that was for me, because my jokes aren't funny. Um, and he thinks you're trustworthy. See, now, that is a list that I comprised. Why? Because those are things that are important to, like, to me. When I think about that, I go, that's what I want God to think about me. And you know, here's the reality. The reality is God thinks good thoughts toward you. He is only good. He is not conspiring. He's not frustrated with you. He's not like, oh, that kid. He doesn't do that. He thinks you're wonderful. You're in relationship with him, and he is in relationship with you, and he wants that relationship to deepen. Did you hear that word I said? Deepen. He wants that relationship that you have with him to go beyond 
our daily bread. You get what I'm saying? Just that, that, that three paragraph thing. Now, nothing against daily bread. Daily bread people, we love you. You're awesome. Tremendous ministry. Good job. But he wants it to go beyond that and he wants us to have a relationship with him that goes into where we can actually talk to God and hear from God and have a two-way conversation with God and one that is meaningful, that, that goes beyond the, the tertiary um, issues of the day into the important stuff of what we're really thinking. So how do you take a promise from God and turn it into the desire of the the end of the road for for you. What do we do here? Well, we start with Romans chapter 4. Let's look at the father of the faith, and that is Abraham. When he was faced with a dilemma, he had a promise from God that said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Your offspring is going to be like the stars of the air and like the stars of the sky and like the the sand of of the seashore. But yet he was 100 years old or pushing it. And his wife was 90. And he was well beyond childbearing years. And it says in Romans chapter 4, if it's up there, no, it's not up there, all right. It says in Romans chapter 4 that he said he hoped against hope. Now it's up there. There we go. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, since he was 100 years old, Next one, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he, now that he there is God, he, had, he that had promised what he, God, had promised, he, God, was also able to perform it. So he had a relationship with God that was such that even though God said, you're 100, your wife's 90, but I'm still gonna make your offspring like the, like the stars of the sky and like the sand of the seashore. And how do you believe that? Well, you gotta believe that the person that made the promise has the ability to make it come to pass, right? And he said he believed, hoped against hope, it says earlier, he hoped against hope and he believed that he who had promised was able to perform that which he promised. Wow. So as you look at this, we look at, if we're gonna have a relationship with God, let's talk about who God is and how he reveals himself in the Bible. Now, again, if you wanna know what God thinks about you, go to the Bible and you're gonna find out that he thinks good thoughts towards you. He thinks good plans toward you, not evil. So if you want to find out about God, what is, what is God like? The best place to learn what God is like is the Bible. Why? Because it's God's word. And the best place to look for what God is like in the Bible is how he describes himself. Okay, it's like his own self-descriptive um, verses. So let's, let's look at a few of those. And these are going to be called, these are called the, Traditionally, they're called the names of God, okay? The first name in the Bible anywhere, the first way that God is referred to anywhere in Scripture, it's called Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, Elohim, Elohim, 
And it's interesting that Elohim is actually a plural. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hmm, funny how that works, right? And it says, in the beginning, God. So it, that's, the, that's the very first mention. It says, so in the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And who is, what is the description of God there, Elohim? The description of God is he is the God of creative power and might. There's no power shortage with Elohim. He can do anything. In other places, is anything too hard for Elohim? No, right? There's nothing too hard for Elohim. There's nothing too hard for God, nothing. So that's the, first, that's the first revelation of God in Scripture is that he is the God of creative power and might and there's nothing too hard for him. Valley of dry bones, Ezekiel 37, not too hard for God. Prophesy to him. Skin comes on him, muscles, ligaments, and he raises up. Israel's been, been, not been a nation for 2,000 years not a problem for God. Makes him a nation. Lazarus been dead in the grave for four days. Not a problem. Lazarus come forth. I mean, what I'm saying is there's nothing too hard for God. Two million people, at least two million, probably more like five or six million people in the desert for 40 years that need clothes, that need shelter, that need food, that need water. No problem for Elohim. He took care of them. Seven nations, seven nations stronger than Israel in, in the promised land, no problem. We'll drive them out. Sometimes with hornets, sometimes with hailstones, sometimes with phantom sounds that make them go crazy and kill each other. That's what God did. You can read it all through the scripture. So sometimes he had them just get confused and kill each other. Sometimes he had hailstones. Sometimes their chariot wheels fell off. You know, it, it, there's all kinds of things that God did, but there's nothing too hard for God. He is Elohim. So if you're facing a situation, you say, yeah, but not even God can help me. No, 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 no. Stop that. That is not true what you just said. God can help you. There is nothing too hard for Elohim. There is nothing too hard for God. So whatever it is that you're facing, it's not too hard for your father. He's got it, okay? That's, that's So he's able. Next, the next revelation of God is a, it's a progressive revelation and it's the word Jehovah or Yahweh. And that is the personal re revealing God. This is where he reveals his tender, personal side. See, God is like a giant diamond. It has facets that are just in every direction. And this is one of the facets of God. It's his personal, loving, tender, father care for you as his child. He's Jehovah. And in, in that Jehovah name, there is actually a number of compound names that we'll go over in just a minute. But this, the, it starts with Jehovah. And he is your personal father. That's why you can call him father, because he is personally attached to you. He's personally involved with you. Next one, and this is where God reveals himself as El Shaddai. 
El Shaddai is the all-sufficient one. There is nothing, there is no shortage of anything anywhere as far as God is concerned. He is the all-sufficient one. He is more than enough. He is more than enough for every single situation we face because he is El Shaddai. He doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what you lack, he's got more than enough for you because his name is El Shaddai, the one who made provision for you, the all-sufficient one, the God who's more than enough. It's like Thanksgiving at my house. We have more than enough food. There's always too much food, right? Because that's the way we like it, right? But God is El Shaddai, the more than enough God. He's way more than enough. God is not. He's El Shaddai, not El Cheapo, right? So he's not skimping out on you. He's not wondering, ooh, I wonder if we'll have enough. No, that's not how God is. That's how Dutch people are, but that's not how God is, okay? And I'm Dutch, so I can say that. So the next one is Jehovah Jireh. Now, many of you, most of you maybe, have already, you've heard of that, you know what that is. You say, oh, yeah, that's the Lord our provider. It is, and it's also Jehovah, the one who sees ahead of time and makes provision. Now, that is more, that's a little more descriptive than the Lord's our provider. Because what that really, what that really addresses is that there is nothing that you are going to come up against, face, or run across in your life ever from the cradle to the grave. There is not one thing that God has not seen ahead of time and made provision for you. I'm gonna let that sink in for a minute. Say, hold it. You don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't, but I know this. God is Jehovah Jireh. He has seen ahead of time. You might not see the provision. It might not be obvious. You might, it might not be right in front of you, but it's there. And God has seen ahead of time and made provision. When this whole COVID thing hit, we were, we were everybody was, the whole world was kind of on its ear going, okay, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? You know what's the, the cool thing you know, for, for this particular church and our church here at Res Life? God had given us super qualified technical help, super qualified um, equipment and people that were trained in all this stuff before this ever happened and the first week COVID hit, we had two services ready to roll and they were on broadcast and we never missed a beat. God saw ahead of time and made provision. It's like we just, kinda, we just sat there and went, wow. You'd think God knew this was coming or something. And in actuality, he did. And he made provision for us. Now, we still have to cooperate with God's provision. And if you, and if you sit on your hands, then you, know, you aren't gonna get what you need. You gotta follow God's will and you have to obey him when he leads you and all that. That's, all, that's a given. But the bottom line is God has made provision for us. He's seen ahead of time. There's no surprises. Al always says this to us. He always says, this is not a surprise to God. And that's, that's what this is about. This is not a surprise to God. 
What's going on? Nothing is a surprise to God. He has seen your future because he's already been there and back because he's outside of time. I know I'm blowing somebody's mind because it's like, but that's the way God is outside of linear time. So he's already seen your future and he's back and he's already telling you, hey, it's good. So you're gonna have to trust him. He's outside of time. He's already seen ahead of time and made provision for us. Then there's another. This is, these are revelations of God about himself. So this is not somebody else. This is not me telling you about God. This is God's word telling you about himself. I'm merely saying the words. But it's really God's word telling you who he is and what about himself. And so these are super important. Jehovah M. Kadesh. I know that sounds different, but it's, it is different, okay? Jehovah M. Kadesh. The God who sets apart, sanctifies, and calls us out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love, Colossians 1.13. He calls us out. He's Jehovah M. Kadesh. He says, hey, come out from among them and be separate. Come out and be my people. Be my special people. Be, be set aside for me. That's what God, he's saying, hey, this is who I am. I want to draw you to myself. I want you to be my people. That's what he's saying here in Jehovah M. Kadesh. I am the one who sets you apart. I'm the one who makes you who you are. I'm the one who, who, who sanctifies you. And sanctifies is just a fancy word for being set apart, okay? Just set aside and, and up, set apart from the, the commonplace. Something that was set aside from the common things. Then we have one of my, I mean, they're all great, but this is one of my favorite, Jehovah Nissi, N-I-S-S-I, Jehovah Nissi. What is Jehovah Nissi? The Lord, my banner. The Lord, my victory. The banner over me is love, right? Remember that old song? The banner over me is love. But Jehovah Nissi is the Lord, my banner. It's like a I don't know if you ever saw these movies, but uh, you know, the one with the, the blue, half blue and half white. Freedom, right? Braveheart. Um, he had this standard that he would raise up, and it was a, a flag, and he'd raise up that flag, and everybody would charge into battle. And the, the banner there, another translation calls it the standard. It's a standard. So in Isaiah, it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. What is that standard? The standard is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our victory. No matter what the situation is in your life right now, you can go ahead and raise up the standard of victory and you could say, the Lord is my victory. The Lord is my shelter. The Lord is my strength. He is my buckler. He is my strong tower I run in. And you can raise up that standard in the middle of whatever's going on. You raise up the Lord's standard and say, he is Jehovah Nissi. He is the Lord, my standard. He's my victory. He's already won the victory for you. He beat the devil, right? He, beat the, he, he completely conquered all the forces of darkness when he rose from the dead. So he's already won the victory for us. 
Now what we've got to do is enforce his victory. That when the enemy comes and lies and says, oh, you're defeated, there's no hope for you, there's no hope for you in God, and you say, uh-uh, the Lord is my victory. He's my standard. He's my shield. He's my buckler. He's the one that makes all things work together for my good. And you have to fight back, but you fight back with the word, and you fight back with the truth of who God is, and you fight from a place of relationship with the person who's described himself as your victory. God wants to be your victory, but you've gotta, you've, you've gotta decide that you're gonna press into him, and you gotta press in that you are going to walk in Jehovah Nissi, in his shadow, of the shadow of the Almighty, and you're gonna walk in victory. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our physician, the Lord our health, the Lord our medicine, really, truly. He is the Lord our medicine. His word is life, it's health to all your flesh. He is Jehovah Rapha, he is the Lord our physician. Then Jehovah Shalom, I am the Lord your peace, your peace. Another, another translation of that would be wholeness, wellness. Another one is nothing missing, nothing broken. He is Jehovah Shalom to the point where there's nothing missing in your life and there's nothing broken. He is Jehovah Shalom. And I would say you can do what we do. We've been doing this for 30 years. We have a Shalom home. Shalom home. Walk around and say, thank you, Father. I got a shalom home full of peace, right? Last thing in the world we need is strife. We got a shalom home. Nothing missing, nothing broken. We have wholeness. We have wellness. We have peace. Why? Because he says, I am the Lord, your peace. Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. He's with you. Even when Jesus came to the earth, what did the angels say? Peace on earth, right? Shalom, goodwill toward men. It's the first thing they said, peace on earth. We bring you glad tidings of great joy, right? I won't get into that, or I'll start reciting my wife's Christmas program. <clears throat> so, how do we have peace? Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace, shalom, of God which goes beyond all human understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So how do we have peace? How do we keep peace? In the middle of all this, how do we keep peace? By deciding that you're going to be anxious for nothing. How in the world do I stop being anxious, Bernie? Come on. Are you serious? Have you seen my checkbook, right? I can just hear that. How can I not be anxious? Here's the reality. He says, be anxious in nothing. He doesn't tell us to do something that's impossible. He would never do that. Why? Because he's, he's just. It says, but... You turn it over, you roll the care of that over onto the Lord, for he cares for you. That's how we do it. We roll the care of it over onto him, 1 Peter 5, because he cares for us. 
So we, we are anxious in nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, we let our requests be made known to God. So let your requests be made known. Let him know. He wants to know. And he wants to know how we can help. And then it says, this peace, shalom, that goes beyond your human understanding. And that's a very important thing. There is times when you can have very, very stressful, very awful things going on in your life and you can still have perfect peace. Why is that? Because you have shalom. You have peace that goes beyond human understanding and it brings, it keeps your heart and it keeps your mind in Christ Jesus. The final one we're going to go through right now is Jehovah Sid Canoe. Now it sounds like you're going to sit in a canoe. Now you're all going to remember that now because I said that, right? It's like Jehovah's sitting in a canoe. And that's, it's Jehovah's sit canoe, it means the Lord, your righteousness. So one of the things that, that, that are, it's a misunderstanding in the body of Christ overall, and that is that somehow God judges us or God you know, evaluates us based on our performance. And the reality is God does not do that. God evaluates us based on the blood of Jesus. Because if he based it on my performance, I would be woefully lacking. And so he, he doesn't base it on that. He bases it on what Jesus did for us. So it's interesting that when, even in the Old Testament, when, when, the, when someone brought a lamb to be sacrificed, they never examined the person bringing the lamb. They examined the sacrifice. So with us... Jesus is the lamb that was sacrificed, that was slain before the foundations of the world. So when we come to God, he doesn't see us. He sees the sacrifice. He sees Jesus. And Jesus is the spotless lamb. Jesus is the perfect one, the one who never sinned. And so when God looks at us, he sees us through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. So he sees you as perfect. I know that somebody looked at what are you talking about? Sees me as perfect. Do you know what I did today? Yeah, does that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when God sees you, He sees you through the lens of the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice that was made for you. So that's why He can say you're righteous. Because you have an imputed or a gifted righteousness, not something that you've earned. It says that by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not of works, it's by grace. It's a gift. So our righteousness, the Jehovah Sikhanu, our righteousness is a gift. It's a gift from God. It, through Jesus, it's a gift from God. Psalm 49, 7 says, no one can redeem his brother or give God a ransom for his soul. Nobody, nobody. we're all hopelessly lost. Psalm 40, and in, in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, my, it says that our righteousness, this is a, a summary, but in that verse, it talks about it, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best thing I can do, the best thing you can do, the most holy thing we can do on our own is still like a dirty rag that you change the oil with on your car. Filthy rag. The best thing I can do is filthy rags. 
So since we know we can't win, why don't we just rely on what Jesus did for us, right? And then Job 25, 4 says, how can a man be righteous with God? We can't. Aside from Jesus, there's no, no one righteous, no, not one. But through Jesus Christ, anyone can be righteous through Jesus. And the way we become righteous, you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. You confess that you've sinned. You, 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 you just confess that, God, I've sinned. I've blown it. I've broken all your laws, and I'm hopelessly lost, and I can't be righteous without you. And I ask you to forgive me, and I make Jesus Lord of my life today. And I, I say, you're the boss. Tell me what to do. I'll obey you the best I can. Help me, because I'll blow it, but help me, please, and I'll walk with you the rest of my life. That's kind of the prayer I prayed 35 years ago. It's like, God, help me. I've screwed up my life. Could you help me not screw it up so much in the future? And God's so gracious that he walks with us and he gives us his righteousness. It is, he has given us a robe of righteousness. In, Psalm, in Isaiah 61, 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. He has gifted us the robe of righteousness that you don't have to be ashamed. You know that today, because of what Jesus did, if you've made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, now you're walking with him today. You could walk out of this life today and walk directly into the presence of God without any, you'd just go from one to one. Why? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How can that possibly be? How can I, a, a physical person who, who doesn't always do the right thing, how can I just walk into the presence of God? Because of the gifted righteousness that's only available through the blood of Jesus and only available when we ask and receive through the name of Jesus. Because he's made a way. You can walk right out of this body and right into the presence of God because you have the same righteousness that God, you, you have God's gifted righteousness to you. And, and some people get all worked up and they say, oh, you say we're just as righteous as God. Only in the fact that he gifts us his righteousness. Not in any performance mode that we would have on our own, certainly not. But because of his gracious gift, we have his righteousness. And that, that, that should just kind of make you, just make you think and go, wow. So he's gifted us righteousness. So now when you look at the Bible and it says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person is mighty in its power and mighty in its working, you can go, hold it. I'm righteous. I ain't righteous because I'm so good. I'm righteous because he's so good. And he says, if I pray, things are gonna change. Ooh-wee, let's go pray. Because that's who you are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, when you do dumb things, that's not righteous. Don't get me wrong. But you have a gift of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
2 Corinthians chapter five, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has given, reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. For he made him, Jesus, that knew no sin, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are righteous in Christ Jesus. So every time you see a, a thing where the righteous so flourish, you say, ooh, I'm flourishing because I'm righteous. Every time you see the prayer of a righteous person avails much, ooh, I better pray because it'll make a difference. Every time you say, the children of the righteous are blessed. Ooh, my kids are blessed because I'm righteous because of what Jesus did for me. And again, it's not because of what you've done. It's because of what Jesus did. But if we don't appropriate what Jesus did for us, you don't walk in the truth of it nor the blessing of it if you don't appropriate it. If you don't actually reach out and grab it and say, wow, this is me, you don't get the benefit from it. So you gotta reach out and grab it and say, yeah, that's me. That's who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. He loves me. He thinks I'm awesome. And that's what he thinks about you. So today, today, here it is. October 2020. As we look at the future, nobody knows what the future holds. We're going to have a new president in two weeks, whether the same one or a different one. We're going to have we're going to have an election, and you know what? No matter who wins, Jesus Christ is still Lord. The Father is still on the throne. All the angels. We got twice as many angels as they got demons, so don't worry about it. Okay, so. We have the power of God. We got the name of Jesus. No matter what happens, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are loved. You are cared for. And God is for you. Man, we can't, your, your future's so bright, you're gonna better get some sunglasses. Because it's a good future. God has a future that's good. And it's, and it's, it's powerful. And don't ever buy the lie that you've missed your chance. Don't ever buy the lie. That's a lie. You have not missed your chance. I don't, doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how bad you've messed up your life. Does not matter a lick. God gives us unlimited do-overs. Do-over today. Just do-over today. And I'm just curious if someone would say to me today, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. I need to know, I need to tap into what that is you're talking about, that righteousness, because that's not who I am. And you say, I need that righteousness in my life, and I, I need Jesus to be Lord of my life. And if that's you, just lift your hand up right there. I'll pray with you right there. We'll pray. You can pray the same prayer I prayed 35 years ago. It's still working today. And you can pray that prayer, and you'll be, you'll be saved. You'll be born again just that fast. It's that simple. Yes, sir, I see it. Right there. Awesome. I want everybody to pray this simple prayer with me. We're going to pray this together with my brother right there, and then we're going to talk afterwards, okay? 
Deal? And I want all of you to pray this prayer with me, and uh, then we'll go from there. Say, Heavenly Father, like you mean it, come on now. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died on that cross to pay for my sin. I've sinned, but you paid for it. I thank you. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, give me a vision for my future, prepare a way for me. I thank you that you're for me, not against me, that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. In the name of Jesus, amen.